This should be played at high volume. Live and local, this is the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. It is our two of two on a stupendous Saturday, especially if you're a fan of sports. Because first off, we talked about it to begin the show. It is a stacked weekend. If you are a fan of basketball, hockey, if if you're one of those hockey fans, this is your weekend. If you're a fan of baseball, this is definitely your weekend because it is May. We're starting to get down to crunch time in this world of college baseball. High school baseball playoffs are officially underway. We've got the Kentucky Derby, the horse racing fans, a triple crown is officially underway. I was able to catch some of the Kentucky Oaks yesterday, so I was absolutely loving that. And I'm sure you're loving it as well if you're a fan of combat sports like I am. And we're going to talk a lot about combat sports here in hour number two. In the next segment, we're going to have on our good friend, John Eric Poli. We're going to have him on talking about what happened with the big announcement that Charles Oliver has to vacate his lightweight championship due to missing the weight cut right before his big fight. That was a mind-blowing thing to see happen. Now, what that means for the future of the title is going to be determined later tonight. We're going to get down to it with him in the next segment. Going to bring on Ross Jackson as well at 11.30, and we got a lot to react to. We talked about it earlier with the prodigal son returning home. And I cannot wait to talk to him about that and so much more. So make sure you keep it locked right here over the next hour. We're loaded up with guests, not enough time to get people on the hotline. Then again, I'm not inside the beautiful game studios this week. A little more remotely. Let's just put it that way. We're not going to go too much into the why, but I think if you fill in the blanks, you'll know why. I'm not in my normal spot on a Louisiana Saturday morning, but I'm still glad to be here with you. Thank goodness I'm still here with you because I would have probably lost my mind not having a show this week, especially after hyping it up so much that we are officially making the switch to 9 to 11. We're doing some new programming. We're going to have betting across America. If you're a fan of gambling as much as I am, if you're a degenerate of a degenerate, this is your time. Is before me. We have a great lead in looking at some of the big lines on a Saturday, then betting across America right after I'm done. As a person who just did five fave picks to click, I may be taking some of their advice more often than not now. I maybe then I could be making a little bit more money, especially because I've been not doing too well lately. Mind you, I need, I, I talked about it with Tyler Batiste earlier. I absolutely need some love from the Golden State Warriors and the Milwaukee Bucks and to make it to the NBA Finals to battle for the Larry O'Brien Trophy because I've got a $300 
I could win off of that two leg parlay. Massive stuff there. But again, that's just the way I like to roll. And hopefully you do the gambling responsibly. You're not a maniac like yours truly. That said, I've got some things I want to get off my chest. I don't think I've ever done this before. And I've got a list of things that I absolutely hate in the world of sports that aren't named Rob Manfred, Roger Goodell, and I'd say even even Bettman, Gary Bettman of the NHL. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of him, but outside of commissioners. And I think number one with a bullet is something that came out this week. The NFL's insistence on international games. It's this whole international series stuff. I cannot stand the fact that we continue to have these things. We did the whole NFL Europe thing many, many years ago, and it did not work. It was a developmental league. If you want a developmental league, go to the XFL and the USFL and try to partner up with them. That'll be your developmental league. I don't like the idea of international games, number one, because I understand you're trying to expand the game. I get that. Here's the thing. You're called the NFL, National Football League. The NBA is the National Basketball Association. You don't necessarily see them out there trying to book all these games. Why not try and get the game of... And also, it's American football. It's such a mess that we continue to have this situation. Now, COVID saw the thing become paused, and now it looks to be even more back. They're going to be in Munich, Germany, in Frankfurt in 2023. They're going to be in London for a few games. And then obviously the Mexico game, if they actually do have that game in Mexico, like I think it was a few years ago, they had a game that wanted to be called off or moved somewhere else because of the fact they couldn't get things in terms of the logistics right. I believe it was the, yeah, it was 2018 with the Chiefs and Rams. They had to basically scrap, uh, basically have no attendance because they had a complete soccer riot in that soccer stadium. I understand in terms of the, way you want to try and build the game worldwide and and be able to potentially expand into different regions of the world. It's fine and dandy, but man, it just is a pain in the neck to see us year after year after year have these things happen every single time. And I'll never really understand why we have to keep doing this. And every time it feels like when the Saints are chosen, when the Saints are drawn, they're going to wind up going over to London. Like it's almost it's every few years they do it. It's not that often. Honestly, they haven't been in a while. The last time they did go, they won and they shut out the Miami dolphins. This was when Jake Cutler really didn't give a damn. This was a 20, nothing win. That was the last time they went there. And that was the, that was the real turning point. If you go back and look at that season, that was the turning point where this team kind of started off very slow but then after that, this game, they wound up going on a big tear. They had a it was a they booked that perfectly timing-wise in 2017, where that was week four. You were two and two, you went into the bye week, and then you went on a tear. They went on a run from October 15th to November 19th on an impressive win streak to improve to eight and two. And it was one of those things you were kind of mesmerized by because for years the Saints in that run of bad years, they started off 0-2. And, 
and they were able to bounce back and more importantly, avoid that one and three or oh and four start. Because I've said it before that all during the Sean Payton era, if you finished below 500 in the first four games, you were going to wind up getting screwed. So that's why I'm kind of I'm nervous about this game, especially because it's the Vikings. The Vikings have never been an easy out. This Vikings team is bad on the whole, especially when you think about their quarterback. And people want to complain about the Saints quarterback. Honestly, I'd much rather want to complain if I'm a Vikings fan about my quarterback because my quarterback absolutely sucks because he is Kirk bleeping cousins. And I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Just like I don't like the NFL Europe games. I understand. And I think Roger Goodell's grand scheme is to have teams in Europe that are part of the NFL, and it's a complete joke. We don't need that. Why would you have that? If you're going to do that, like why not take those? I've said it before. If you do that, take the four worst teams imaginable. Take those four worst teams in the NFL, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'd probably say the Detroit Lions, depending what year it is. Mind you, the Detroit Lions, I think they're going to be better in 2022, but not necessarily markedly better. There's about four or five teams, I think, any given year, I would move over to Europe and just create a separate division rather than create an expansion league and expansion divisions, I should say, and we see that kind of play out because it's going to be a complete mess and then some. That's probably the biggest thing that I hate in the world of sports is the fact that we have to have these international games under the guise of expanding the game, but the NFL, I think they're outright wanting to put a team in Europe in the next few years. And the first team that comes to mind is the Jacksonville Jaguars, more because I think Tony Khan has said outright, or Shad Khan, I should say. One of those two guys actually said many moons ago they want to have a team in over there. They already have a soccer team, Fulham FC, shout out to them for making it to the championship in their respective league. They're actually going to get promoted to the EPL, which is going to be really cool for them because they've been an absolute joke for a little bit. Hopefully it can be a little bit more relevant on that side of things. But that's the biggest thing I hate in the world of sports. And it's always going to be that way for yours truly. But before we get out of here, I got to say, I am so doggone excited about Downtown Rising coming back June 4th. We're less than a month away from one of the most stupendous events we have going down in the Acadian area with 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We want to upgrade your experience for Downtown Rising with the ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience. You may see Cold War Kids, Clay Cormier, Andy Frasco, and the UN, and so many more artists. You can buy the tickets right now, or you can enter in the clubhouse today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com and score a pair of VIP passes plus a chance to meet the Cold War kids. If you love their music, this is the perfect opportunity to go check them out. And I'll say this, this is going to be a golden opportunity for you and your friend. This is going to be an awesome thing to go see. Trust me, I've been excited about Downtown Rising since... In 2020, we originally announced Cold War Kids were going to be coming, but of course, COVID threw a wrench into it. And last week, I was at festival and actually bumped into Nico Yanko, Deputy Director of Athletics at UL, and he was mentioning how excited he was, the fact that thing's going to be happening again. He loves Cold War Kids, 
And I'm sure if you love Cold War Kids, you're going to want to go out and see this live and in living color. So why not upgrade your experience with the VIP passes that we have up for grabs right now in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's the ultimate downtown rising VIP experience presented by Social Entertainment, Raider Solutions, Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and the game, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. All right, let's take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going back-to-back with guests like we're the Bulls in 96-97 with John Eric Poli, my MMA News, talking UFC 274 and the big news that changed a lot of stuff in the world. Charles Oliveira missing weight. We're going to talk about that and so much more than we have Ross Jackson on at 1130. So keep it locked right here on your sports station in Southwest Louisiana. The game 1037 live yet and 1041 Lake Charles. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Hopefully you're having a great Saturday. It's a stupendous Saturday. If you're a fan of the fight game, guess what? You've got UFC 274. You've also got a big fight with Canelo Alvarez taking on Dimitri Bilov. That should be a banger of a fight. And to talk about that and so much more, I got to bring on our good friend. We've had him on many times in the past. At this time around is no different heading into a big fight weekend. UFC 274, a little conversation and also talk about some of the controversy that's happened over the last 24 hours before the fights even got started. We got to bring on our good friend, John Eric Poli, my MMA news. John, how's it going? Hey, man, thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. It's such a great weekend, not only to be a fight fan, like you said there with those big fights, but just if you're a sports fan in general, because obviously we have Kentucky Derby, we have baseball games, we have the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, what a great, great weekend it's going to be. It's going to be an absolutely outstanding weekend, John. And I think, to say the least, what's going to be going down with USC 274? And I'll go ahead and, and break a little kayfabe here, if you will, and, and break down what what's happened here. We actually taped this moments before the weigh-ins went down, the the unofficial the official weigh-ins not the stuff that you see going on the ceremonial weigh-ins we wound up taping this and wound up finding out no more than probably 30 minutes later after we wrapped up the interview charles Oliveira missed weight meaning he is going to be stripped of the lightweight championship he is going to officially no he's no longer the champion officially but if gaethje wins tomorrow tonight i should say you have that go down with justin gaethje could be the next UFC lightweight champion if he pulls off the win over Oliveira. If Oliveira wins, it's still vacated. And Dana White's got some decisions to make. Yeah, so this whole entire thing is crazy in itself. Um, So I guess before we get into the whole bulk of the Charles Oliveira not making weight controversy, we'll kind of just break down a little bit of what what you said there. Um, Yeah, so obviously... Uh, we know Charles Oliveira did not make weight, and it was crazy because, like you said, we recorded this, uh, and I was actually walking into work at my uh, second job, and I'm just walking the doors. He texts me, "Oh boy, Oliveira missed weight." I'm like, "Oh god, you had to be kidding me!" And the texts start coming through, and 
Yeah, so uh, the reason why this fight is technically still going on, even though Oliveira did not make weight and he has now been stripped of the title, um, not another fighter weighed in at 155. We had Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson, they weighed in. Uh, one of them weighed in at 156, one weighed at 155.5. Uh, Cowboy Cerrone was at 155.5 as well. So all those guys technically ineligible to fight for the title. So that's how we ended up still having this main event with uh, with those two guys. But like you said there, obviously, uh, Justin Gaethje is the only one eligible to win the title. Um, obviously, I imagine Gaethje is probably going to be the hometown favorite going in there, uh, being that it's in, in Arizona. That's where he's... Uh, from there, I can only imagine that. I know the fans aren't going to be too happy with the whole Oliveira controversy. And uh, if Oliveira is to still get the win and this title's vacant, it causes a big mess in the, in the lightweight division. It's a division that is so crowded and so deep and has so many great contenders in it that the last thing this division needs right now is a logjam. Well, no, I'd agree with you wholeheartedly. Talk right now with John Eric Poli, my MMA news. And it's without a doubt probably one of the more controversial things to pop up over the last 24 hours is this going down. But before we get to the actual fight itself, I want to talk about the the lightweight division. You talk about it being extremely stacked. And let's play the hypothetical game. If we see Charles Oliveira get the win over Gates G tonight, how do they determine who is going to be in this like championship setup? Do we wind up seeing Dustin Poirier kind of backdoor his way into another title shot. Because right now, according to the UFC lightweight rankings, he's tied for first alongside Justin Gaethje. You've got Islam Makachev being third ranked. Benil Darouche is also in that mix. What happens after 274 if we do see Charles Oliveira win tonight? Well, here's the thing that's crazy with all this too, which I'm sure there's going to be some controversy and Daniel White's going to have some decisions to make curious to see what his take's going to be here before we kind of get into who would be next if he wins and that's, I didn't realize this part of it with the way and so I knew there was a digital scale in the back room and the fighters do step on that first before going out Uh, what I didn't realize, so it was funny first I saw a tweet, right? so MMA Twitter coming in clutch here, Ben Aspen actually said, well what did all of their way in the back because the digital scale back there is a lot better than those old school doctor scales that they they step on. And then I saw Casey O'Neill came out and she was set talking. She went into pretty good uh, detail with it and was saying how that the fighters actually need to step on the scale in their hotel in front of officials, go to the arena, step on the digital scale in the back in front of officials, then go out for what we all see on video so technically apparently again story still developing uh, as we're recording this uh but apparently the two digital scales that charles Oliveira stepped on both had him at, in at 155 on the dot making him eligible to compete the scale where we saw in video the old school doctor scale where the guy is moving the levers back and forth there had him at 155.5 and i know from casey o'neill's tweet she said that typically that is being the case that that scale is about 0.5 pounds heavier than what the digital scales show. So, you know, that's, I think, the big question mark here is if Charles Oliveira does win and you have this, that he did step on these digital scales, that adds a lot to the story as to where we kind of go from here. Um, it, it's crazy. Obviously, 
it, it goes each state kind of has their botting uh, government officials sanctioning the event. So obviously, you know, they're what they made the ruling that he was over. But Dana White in the past, if you remember, I remember there was a time that um, when uh, Habib had fought Ally Aquinta, there was a whole sequence. We won't get into the the mix of that. This to shorten this up a little bit here, but. Ally Aquinta weighed in at 155.2. The commission said, well, you're overweight. But he said, hey, I weighed in my underwear. My underwear weighs 0.2 pounds. If I was full nude and weighed in, I'd be 155 on the dot. Dana White, okay, if Al would have beaten Habib, he would have given the lightweight strap. So I don't know what we're going to see with that. As far as a future matchup, if Charles does win, if Dana White is okay with what we just said because he weighed in on two other scales that had him at 155, I think Charles Oliveira is still one half of your future lightweight contendership if he's to get the victory here. As for who he'd fight, Dustin Poirier makes sense. I know he's supposed to try to get a fight in here as long as he wants to keep, stay at 155. But, I mean, yeah, real proud of the division. So, I mean, really, really in this division you could put contender one through probably nine in the mix and it makes sense. Oh, no, I think it's one of the most stacked divisions in all of the UFC. And we talked about you know, one of the other fights going down in the lightweight division has to be Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson, two guys that I think could make a really strong case. Because I think, in all honesty, obviously we are airing here in Louisiana. We love Dustin Poirier, great guy, Lafayette native, born and raised. I feel like if Michael Chandler wins here against Tony Ferguson, he kind of moves up towards that front of the line He's been making a big impact in the world of the UFC since jumping over from the rival promotion. He's been able to really up his game, and I want to see how we could kind of fare in a UFC title match for the for the undisputed title. Yeah, so obviously Michael Chandler did have the one crack at the undisputed title. He lost to him and uh, Charles Oliveira fought for the um, undisputed title, and Oliveira got the jump on him there. And, that's what makes actually so few things here. So what makes this matchup with Chandler and Ferguson so interesting is the fact that when you look at their body of work, uh, so we'll start with Michael Chandler first. He comes in, beats Dan Hooker first fight. His next two fights he loses, Charles Oliveira, Justin Gaethje, both guys uh, fighting in the main event here. Uh, then we look at Tony Ferguson. Obviously, he loses to Justin Gaethje. He had a loss to Benio Dariush in there. Uh, Dariush is obviously one of the top guys. He's right in this whole title mix, too. He's uh, at least supposed to have some business with Islam Makhlachev coming up here, which is a major fight. Both of those, the winner of that, could uh, obviously get in the title mix here, too, as well. Um, but anyway, Tony Ferguson also then lost. So Gaethje, uh, Dariush, and Charles Oliveira. So even though uh, Gaethje, or I'm sorry, even though Chandler and Ferguson are some losing skits, losing skits, the great guys, top of the division, obviously. So Winner of that one really propels uh, themselves right up there. And, um, you know, just looking at it, here's something to think about, too. I know we talked about if Oliveira wins, does uh, Poirier get himself in, into the mix there? Well, how about if Justin Gaethje wins? Obviously, he becomes the undisputed champion. Dustin Poirier has a win over Justin Gaethje. Makes that all more compelling. And, you know, we see here, as I'm talking about this and playing all these scenarios out, there's so many different ways the UFC matchmakers could uh, to go to, could go with this division. And uh, obviously, that's going to be one hell of a meeting to sit down and have with Dana White and the matchmakers to see who kind of goes forward from here after this whole entire crazy mess that we're in right now. Talking right now with John Eric Poli, my MMA news 
it's going to be a hectic next 24 to 48 hours for one Dana White to kind of start making decisions because fight cards are starting to be filled left, right, and sideways, especially with uh, International Fight Week coming down the pike. But this is a stacked card, especially the main. You've got Thug Rose defending her Women's Strawweight Championship against Carla Esparza. Last I checked, that car- that fight did not get called it, there was no weight issues there, so I think we're still we're we're in we're in the clear with at least one title being defended. I think it's one of the most dominant women fighters in the entire UFC. It's between her, and I think we can all agree the other big main event for the next show, two seventy five. I think we have to talk about you know Valentina Shevchenko and Thug Rose probably being the two biggest women fighters, which is the perfect opportunity to have this to start bringing women's MMA to that level, it's getting back to that point whenever Ronda Rousey was at her peak. Yeah, so obviously, all right, we know that Ronda kind of put women's MMA on the map. Um, in terms of talent for a lot of it, when Ronda was running through it, I don't know if it's as deep as it is now, which means if you're a woman and you climb to the top of the mountain now and you're the champion, I mean, you not to say that people didn't earn it hard back then, I mean, it's imagination, that's not what I'm saying, but I mean, it's... It's really something now, especially that strawweight division too that Rose is ruling over. Uh, ruling over. That's like so, so. Like we're talking about deep with the the lightweight division. Same thing with that strawweight division as well too. It's a very, very deep division as well. And uh, you know, I think you kind of look at like where did things go from here? Well, first off, obviously with Rose, this is a rematch, and Carla Esparza does have a win over Rose Namajunas. That was so many years ago. So many things have changed, and a Rose, I believe, is. Uh, a pretty big betting favorite, if I'm not mistaken, at the top of my head, and rightfully so. And I would think you kind of, if you're going to start looking ahead, you would assume Rose w- would win here. But, um, yeah, you know, you think going forward, uh, you know, you try to play matchmaker here. I think if you're Rose Nami Yunus, you, your contenders are all kind of right in the mix going forward here. And you have a couple big ones. Obviously, you have uh, Yoani and Jacek and Zhang Wei Li rematching at UFC 275. I know. Rose has wins over those two. The rematches above those little controversial. I know Yoani and Jacek had a messed up face in her rematch with Rose, but oddly enough, Yoana outstruck Rose in every single round of that fight. The scorecards were real wacky for that one, too. If you actually go back and watch that one, you would see it. That fight's a lot closer when people actually remember. And then, of course, Wei Li Zhang, we just saw that one recently. I thought she beat Rose that night. A lot of other people thought she beat Rose that night. So uh, you have those guys. Obviously, Jessica Andrade, who has a win over Rose, is still in the mix there. Marina Rodriguez making a big uh, big thing there. So obviously, that's kind of the premier division right now in women's mixed martial arts. So I imagine um, you know Rose's next matchup is kind of in that one, and none of those fights are guaranteed for her to get a victory. Um, as far as Valentina, yeah, I mean, she's all you want to see in a fight. She has to be... If I had to pick the most technical fighter in all of the UFC, male or female, it has to be Valentina Shevchenko. Her technique is always on point. It's incredible. She, she'll freaking spin around, do some type of weird kick, and she's all of a sudden right back in the same position there. It's incredible to watch what uh, what she does with herself there. But uh, I, what I would like to see with Valentina, though, I want to see her move up, actually, and and try to get a double champ status. And that's something that's kind of been on the table for some time now, but... Uh, I think now's the time to do that because I don't think you want to see a Rose Nami Yunus Valentina fight for a few reasons. Number one, they're friends. They've made it pretty clear in the past that no matter how many times they keep winning and defending, they don't want to fight each other. Like the UFC would really have to offer them something huge to do that. And uh, 
not only that too, but uh, I, I, I I don't think Rose at, at flyweight is the biggest contender. I think she usually weighs somewhere around 125, 130 naturally, so she should be a little little undersized there. I got one more for you before I let you go, brother, and I think we need to kind of look at the opening fight on this main card. It's being built, and I love the fact that Dana White put it this way. This is loser packs up and rides off into the sunset. Donald Cerrone versus Joe Lousen. And it just reminds me so much of the old school Mid-South loser leaves town match. That's what I'm going to coin this. Another lightweight match. Definitely a big highlight seeing Cowboy out there maybe making his last rodeo against somebody like Joe Lousen. It could be a huge fight for him and his future in this, as I'm going to call it, loser leaves town match. I, I love that analogy so much. Like it kind of reminds me of that of like that WWE vibe, right? Loser must retire. It's kind of kind of how we feel here, and it seems like that's kind of the the way that they're kind of going with this whole entire thing. And first off, I mean, kudos to Dana White here. I know he hasn't get and people like to give Dana a hard time, but like he's really looking out for the best interests with a lot of these guys, and I, I think it's pretty clear to see that that you know their best days are indeed behind them there and you don't want to see anybody take unnecessary punishment in this sport and i mean we've seen a box and like in all reality mma is still kind of like a lot of these guys might be the guinea pigs for how this goes kind of later on like whereas boxing we know that there's tons of guys that get into their late 50s early 60s and they're punch drunk and a little little crazy in the head there so um but yeah no that's kind of how this vibe is it's a, it's a little cool to see we don't really see that too much in uh in the real world it's more of a pro wrestling thing where loser must retire but uh what I'm curious to see, I know we're saying that the loser is probably going to walk away here. How about the winner, though? I know, obviously, these guys don't want to see it be the last fight. They want to keep going. But uh, the big thing with this is it's uh, it's a pay-per-view event. Obviously, we know as much as COVID seems to be behind us and knock on wood is behind us, most of these events are still taking place in the UFC Apex. The Apex, of course, what, 30 fans, something like that. There's not a lot of fans in attendance. This is going to be full sold out arena that big positive vibe and i mean going out as a loser is never fun so how about the winner does the winner pull a shocking move and go out on top having their retirement fight in front of a sold out arena i don't know if that will happen but uh you know there's a very good possibility that we're uh, seeing this be their last and also i mean speaking of uh, something along these lines. Now Shogun Hua, who's also fighting on the main card against Ovin St. Pru, he's made it clear that he's almost on two. He only has about two fights left in him, and he plans on getting about two more in. So he's obviously a great guy, a former champion too, and it's great that we get to see him compete for one of the final times ever as well. It's going to be an amazing UFC 274. Didn't have enough time to kind of get to the brass tacks of a phenomenal boxing match t- later on tonight with uh, Canelo Alvarez and Dimitri Bivol, but I'm sure we'll talk some more boxing down the road. John, appreciate you coming aboard the show. We'll talk to you down the road and enjoy all the fights this weekend. Yeah, man, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for having me on again. And uh, man, this is a <laughs> this is one of the crazier one the ones that we've done here with uh, somebody missing weight, the controversy behind it. It's uh, it's a crazy <laughs> time to be alive, that's yep. for sure. All right, John Eric Pola, I got to take a quick timeout. And when we come back, we got Ross Jackson, host of the Locked On Saints podcast and Saints Wire, part of the USA Today Network. He's coming on to talk about the big signing of Tyron Matthew. The Honey Badger is back home. We're back after this right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We are 
Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And I got to say, we got so many great things up for grabs right now. We're getting closer to summertime. And at the end of the month, it's a stupendous time to be out and about. And the Cajun Heartland State Fair is going to be back May 26th through June 5th. And all you got to do is text CHSF. It's just four simple letters. If you're driving, hopefully you have a passenger and you pass it on over to your friend or your partner, whatever it is, CHSF. Text that to 68683 to win a family four-pack of ride tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair. If you're driving and you don't have anybody around you, I got to say, just keep the, keep these four letters in mind once you do get to your destination. CHSF to 68683 to win a family four-pack of ride tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair. I absolutely love that that thing is back in an even more full force than it was last year. And one team that looks to be back in full force in 2022 is those New Orleans Saints, not just because of what they did with the NFL draft, but what they did on Monday, and it was a massive bombshell that was definitely heard across the league with one and only this guy. I was absolutely loving it. Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger, has returned home. And to talk about it, we got to go over to our good friend, the host of the Locked on Saints podcast and also Saints Wire, part of the USA Today Network. That is the one, the only, Ross Jackson. Ross, how you doing, brother? Hey, brother, doing great, man. Glad to be here with you. Appreciate you having me on. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing pretty darn well, man, especially when it comes to those Saints. Let's go ahead and go back in time, go backwards here, and start with the NFL draft. Mm -hmm. What was your immediate reaction to the Saints trading up? We'll get to the pick in a moment, but what was your immediate reaction when you saw the Saints were trading up? Because to me, it's like, oh, no, they're either going to be overreaching for somebody or they're going to wind up getting the right guy. I think there was a lot of anxiety the second I saw that pop up. I'm sure it might have been the same for you. Actually, I'll share a little bit of an anecdote uh, about this because the the story, I think, kind of encompasses it. So we were in Dallas. Uh, We did a big locked on NFL draft live coverage, you know, all three days of the draft. And the hour before when we were live, before the draft started, I, I went down on the couches and I sat with the hosts and I talked to the guys a little bit about what it is that the Saints might do in this year's draft. And I mentioned that the Saints want to leave the first round with an offensive tackle and a wide receiver. And everyone around me, the other four folks around me, were all in on the idea that, nah, they're looking for a quarterback. And I kept saying, I don't think they're looking for a quarterback. And then so I go up, I'm, I'm doing things in the control room, stuff like that. I'm producing the show, but I'm also doing, you know, taking part in the show. And then so when the Saints trade up to 11 and I saw Drake London and Garrett Wilson had already gone off the board, I was pretty confident in that moment that Olave was going to be the selection. And so I see the Saints pop up on the board. I jump, I, you know, jump up out, out my seat. I run downstairs. I, I get down to the studio so I can go back on uh, with the live coverage, talk a little bit about it. And I'm standing there and I'm making eye contact with every one of the, the hosts while they're doing the while they're doing the show. And I'm looking at them and I'm mouthing from off the uh, from kind of off screen. It's Olave. 
it's Olave. And they kept talking about how this has to be from Malik Willis and everything like that. And then all of a sudden the selection comes in and it's Chris Olave. And I kind of got to do my Vince McMahon million dollar man walk onto the yes. set <laughs> when, when they made the selection. Because I was, I was very confident that that's exactly who they were going after, especially after seeing that run on wide receivers get started. We saw it continue to write the very next selection, the Lions trading up to take Jamison Williams. So I was actually pretty confident that they were going for Chris Olave. I'm glad that my confidence was um you know rewarded <laughs> in that moment because it very well could have been a move up for a quarterback for all we knew in that and at that time but i was actually pretty confident that they were making the move for a lobby there and that was the right move when it comes right down to it because you think about everything that this saints franchise has gone through over the last couple of years one mm-hmm. of the big things that they have had to they needed to focus on is getting a wide receiver you and i talked about a couple weeks ago kind of getting in some draft prep talk heading into that fateful Thursday night when you actually were able to land not just Chris Olave with that 11th pick after moving up because I think the Saints just kind of started to feel the room a little bit they were able to read the room well enough to say hey Chris Olave is probably going to be the next guy gone right let's go ahead and snatch him up and I think that worked out extremely well I think this is going to be a huge pickup for them but then we go to their second first round pick getting Trevor Penning He's a guy that has a little bit a little bit raw, but at the same time, he's got that nastiness and the fact he looks like an absolute freaking beast. Yeah. You can't help but not try and like root for the guy from Northern Iowa. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when you talk to him and you ask him what his favorite thing about football is, and he says that he gets to legally assault people. I mean, this greatest guy, line of all time. Right? This guy is gonna be beloved very quickly in the city of New Orleans because of his play on the field and his fierce loyalty. I mean, you look at this guy who came in basically a a twig going into college at University of Northern Iowa and then beefed up to six foot seven, 320 plus pounds at this point, but maintained so much athleticism running a four, nine, one topping the charts in terms of relative athletic score as well, which we know that, you know, is something that correlates really well with what the saints metrics say about players that they really like to invest highly in. You know, you have some technique things that you're going to look at wanting to, you know, help him develop. And of course that happens when you draft FCS talent, but that's why you went and got Doug Marone as a part of the New Orleans Saints coaching staff because he's a fantastic developer at that position. You have Zach Streif, who not only has played the position in the NFL, but has played the position in the NFL for the team that he's going to help Trevor Penning make the adjustment to. And so I think you're going to see Trevor Penning take meaningful snaps at a meaningful position. In 2022, whether that starts at left tackle or right tackle, we'll see. I mean, Dennis Allen seems to indicate that it will be at left tackle, which would obviously make the most sense because you want that dog, mauler, throw him out the club mentality because you lost that in in Toronto uh, Armstead, who was really the guy that was the throw him out the club, big bouncer mentality. So great to see the Saints investing highly at premier positions, which they did less than 50% of the time with their top 100 selections. They had 21 top 100 selections since 2015 going into this year's draft. They invested only 10 of them in premier positions. This year, all three of their top three uh, selections and technically 98, which they traded away in order to move up to for Olave, they spent 100% of those top 100 selections on premier positions and Trevor Penning's a big part of that. Talk right now, Ross Jackson, host of the Locked On Saints podcast and Saints Wire, part of USA Today Network. And let's go ahead and look at what the Saints did with some of their other picks. I think the big highlight has to be Alante Taylor out of Tennessee, 
felt like a guy that where it was very much a hey, let's settle. And I hate to use that word, but at the end of the day, whenever you have the guy, I think the Saints wanted it with that second round pick get picked right before, right before the yeah. Saints were up. You're sitting there like, okay, what do we do now? We need to focus on getting the secondary, which I think was the main kind of talking point. You miss out on the guy from Penn State, but getting somebody like Elante Taylor who fits that model of what the Saints like to do with the culture that they've instilled over the last mm-hmm. five to six seasons. Elante Taylor seems to check off all those boxes and then some. And then we also got to bring up the App State linebacker, DeMarco. He is going to be a guy I think I've seen as somebody who's watched him grow in the in the at App right. State and seeing him play a lot with against the Cajuns. Right. DeMarco Jackson's going to be a name to keep an eye on as well. As maybe a little bit of hidden gem and more importantly, filling some linebacker depth. Overall, how would you grade out this? like draft class for the New Orleans Saints, the first one of the Dennis Allen era, which honestly it felt a little more refreshing where you didn't see them just go for BPA. They fit a lot of team needs and they filled a lot of necessary holes. Yeah, look, if I was going to give this one an early grade, right? Like the test hasn't really been taken yet because they haven't hit the field. But if I was going to give this one an early grade, I'd probably go with a B here. I think that, you know, Jaquan Brisker would have been who is the safety, the Penn State safety that was selected at 48 when the Saints were on the board at at 49. Uh, That would have just been an absolute home run for them. But then you look at what they've done since then to sort of continuously help that secondary, which we'll talk about. But I still think Elante Taylor has a ton of talent. He was, I noted him as one of my sleepers going into this year's draft. You'll notice I used the word sleeper because I didn't anticipate that he was going to go in the second round. I thought he was going to be more like a third or fourth round guy, but I love the talent. 4-3 speed. He's got great range, great length as well. And he's versatile. You could play him at safety. You could play him in the box. You can play him, you know, as a dime linebacker. You can play him outside at corner. You could play him in the slot. You could do so many different things with him. He's kind of like, you know, PJ Williams-esque in that way, in that if, you know, there's so many different ways that you can utilize him. And that seems to be the kind of note for this New Orleans Saints secondary going into 2022. You've got PJ Williams, Alante Taylor. Now you've got Tyron Matthew, Marcus May, and you know um, uh, even a guy like Bradley Roby who can play multiple positions and play all over the place. All of these guys have so much versatility, so he fits right into what it is that Dennis Allen really likes to do, which is disguise defenses, and that versatility helps you do that. And then in DeMarco Jackson, no relation, the thing that I love about him is he has that, you know, um, uh, I guess you'd say like modern linebacker style play. He's a little bit understa- undersized uh, at six foot, just around 230 pounds. But his style of play in terms of his downhill speed, his tackling ability, he can clean up a little bit in coverage. But as you've noted, he's gotten better and better there every single year. But he's going to be a phenomenal special teamer for the New Orleans Saints. And I think that he, he will, beyond that, challenge to be a guy that makes a 53-man roster, not only in the merits of his special team's ability, he also has team captain experience, something that the Saints really leaned in on this year, but also because they're going to need depth at that linebacker spot. And if they can't bring back a guy like Quan Alexander, who's presently still a free agent, his ranginess, his speed, his acuity are things that you might be able to utilize as traits to try to train up and get him into a situation to where he actually sees some snaps on defense as well. Now, it's, you know, the linebacker unit is going to be led by DeMario Davis and Pete Werner, but you have to have those guys that can come in behind that. And uh, DeMarco Jackson could turn into one of those guys for sure. It's going to be fun to see how all this NFL draft is going to pan out and how things are going to work out. Obviously we won't know until these guys put on the pads and more importantly, mm-hmm 
give them some time to kind of grow and develop. But looking back at Chris Olave, there's no doubt he's going to be a wide receiver too. But in the event we see, you know, Michael Thomas the last couple of years, he's been injury prone. Obviously, ankle injuries are such a weird thing with specialty players. What can you say about what he's going to bring to the table to where if Michael Thomas does indeed get injured this season, could he fit really well in a wide receiver one role? Yeah, I think that Chris Olave keeps you from having a situation like last year to where you're asking a lot of guys that were, you know, majority incomplete in terms of their development, having to step up into these lead wide receiver roles. And I think one of the things that there's two things I think that speak really uh, highly of that and speak in favor of that. First of which is his route tree. Um, the guy can run any route on the field. He can attack at all three levels of uh, of a defense. He is somebody that can uh, is a very nuanced route runner, very good short area quickness, phenomenal change of direction, very solid hands, reliable hands as well. So he has wide receiver two speed, wide receiver take the top off ability, but he's got wide receiver one route tree and discipline and all those other things. So he, he's somebody that could develop there if you needed him to and could fill into that role if you needed him to. The second thing is that he didn't produce throughout his entire collegiate career with one coach and one quarterback, right? He there, there was the quarterback change when Justin Fields graduated, went on, and he continued to produce and have another great season with CJ Shroud. We saw, you know, coaching changes and everything over his time at Ohio State and all that as well. So I think that those are two things that just sort of speak to his ability to be able to transition to new personalities, new play styles, new coaching styles, all of that, and now transition into the NFL level. I think both of those things, his coachability, uh, his ability to develop, and the tools that he's already walking in with probably make you a lot more comfortable to if you end up in a situation where you have to have a game some games whatever it might be without michael thomas if that happens in 2022 that you feel really good about saying okay great chris olave becomes the lead attack and then you can build the skill position continue to build a skill position around him with Jameis winston talk right now with ross jackson locked on saints podcast and more importantly saints wire part of the usa today network And now let's get to the big news. We've been burying the lead for a good bit, but I think we need to talk about it, and that is Tyron Matthew, the honey badger, the prodigal son, (laughs) has returned home, the former LSU Tiger, in the black and gold now. One, I think that was a big surprise to a lot of us, but, man, it feels like that was the place he wanted to go no matter what. Didn't Apparently didn't visit any other team. This was the destination that he wanted to land at. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is such a phenomenal story off the field, but this is going to play out so extremely well for both the player and team, Teron Matthew and the Saints, um, once they get on the field uh, as well. I, I think that, you know, uh, Tyron Matthew has spent so much time, so much of his offseason. Basically, I mean, he told us during his introductory presser, he spent basically his entire offseason in Louisiana, whether between Baton Rouge or New Orleans. But yeah, he he took he did kind of a virtual visit with the Philadelphia Eagles, which I always thought was kind of weird. But the only place that he visited was New Orleans. This was the place that he wanted to be. And as he mentioned, it was a dream. And, and more importantly for him, a, a dream come true that he gets to now come back and have an impact. I love to him sharing the story about the fact that, you know, in 2009, he was a senior in high school at the time he and his friends going down to the canal street when the saints won the super bowl and then now you know over a decade later here he is talking about potentially helping them win their second super bowl in 2022 and what a unique and rare opportunity he gets to be a part of that this was a a slam dunk a a home run whatever it is you want to use 
uh, signing by the Saints to bring him in, especially, you know, they like they missed out on Jaquan Brisker and, you know, maybe they were in on him. Maybe he wasn't. We, we assume that they were. Uh, but then they fill that safety role still with, you know, one of the best to do it and still one of the best players at the position in the NFL. Yeah, he's not going to be returning punts for you like he did in Death Valley years ago, but he's somebody that can still impact the game and be a playmaker for you over on the defensive side. And he's such a phenomenal leader, which is something you just lost. You lost both a leader and a communicator in Malcolm Jenkins, but you get it back in droves now with a younger player uh, in Tyron in Tyron Matthew. I, I think it's such a good story, but it's also such a fantastic uh, opportunity for both this player and team to really have an impact and it changes sort of the perception of the new Orleans saints going into 2022 as well. I got one more before I let you go, Ross, and it's more about how this team is set up more importantly, because I've been getting a lot of people saying, Hey, do the saints have a chance to make the postseason with these moves that they made, not just with the free agency acquisition of Tyron Matthew, but also what they did in the draft. This mm-hmm. team feels like everything is working towards a potential playoff run in Dennis Allen's first year. And also with rumors that maybe even Jarvis Landry, they're still pursuing him heavy. Could there be a chance where this Saints team is going to be a, a in the next couple of weeks could be a stronger favorite, especially amongst the betting lines to be a contender in the NFC? Yeah, I think so. And and honestly, I think as the season draws nearer, whether they land guys like Sony Michelle, who's set to visit the running back uh, formerly of the most recently the Los Angeles Rams or Jarvis Landry, I think even without those signings, I think closer to the season, as you look at how weak the NFC has become with uh, so many teams, sort of this mass exodus of players heading over to the AFC. I think that that still works in their favor and that by the time you get to the beginning of the 2022 season, they should be seen as a playoff contending team because you're looking at two other teams in the NFC South now who may be starting rookie quarterbacks in 2022 or who are going to be starting subpar quarterbacks in 2022. And the other team in the division, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Saints have operated very favorably against it, you know, I mean, really for the, the entire history of the of, of the of, of the Sean Payton era, but in particular over the past few seasons. And so I think that, you know, there are people that have been kind of questioning whether or not the New Orleans Saints are going to be able to do this without uh, Sean Payton and without Drew Brees and everything going into this year. And how can they hang with the quote unquote big dogs of the uh, of the NFC? But if you look at last year, we can't forget that the Saints beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Sean Payton and Trevor Simeon and then turn around and shut out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Dennis Allen and Taysom Hill. So, I mean, you know, the, the doubts or, or, or whatever they might be kind of need to be put on hold because this is a team that's ready to compete in 2022. They told you from the very beginning of this offseason or even well before the draft got started that they were going to be competing this year. You saw that when they traded away next year's first round pick. And then now they've made all these moves and acquisitions with more potentially on the way that should make this team a legitimate playoff contender in a weekend conference in 2022. I think this 2022 roster is better than the 2021 roster ever had the chance to be when it had four quarterbacks starting and 58 different starters, all that. I, and I think that the NFC that surrounds it is weaker than it was in 2021. So I think that sets up very well for these New Orleans Saints that have made some stellar moves this offseason. Ross, thank you so much for coming on the show, my man. We'll, we'll talk to you down the road. I got to say, go get some rest, brother, because you got plenty of time between now, OTAs, training <laughs> camp, to kind of rest up. Because I know you were out there. You said you're out there in Dallas, and we talked a little bit before. Mm-hmm. You are dead beat, tired. I, I want you to go get some rest, relax, and we'll talk to you down the road. More importantly, once we get closer to the training camp, my man. 
I appreciate that, man. I look forward to that, both the rest and being back here with you. Uh, I hope that you get to get some of that rest as well, because, you know, we're both out here grinding in these streets. But I appreciate you, man. Always a pleasure to be here with you. All right. Russ Jackson, everybody. Appreciate him joining the program as always. We'll be back. One final take before we head into the weekend in style right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We're back after this. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station wrapping things up in a nice little bow here. And I'm absolutely loving the fact that I'm sending you into a fantastic sports weekend. We've got the Kentucky Derby, UFC 274. We've got LSU baseball, Raging Cajuns baseball, and everything in between. I think it's one of the most stupendous sports weekends. NBA playoffs and NHL playoffs are going on as well. For those who are into it, I'm absolutely loving the fact that I'm going to be talking to you this time next week from Lake Charles. This is going to be super cool. So if you see me, come out, say, hey, we're going to have ourselves a good time. I'll be back to damn near 100% when it's all said and done. And the one final take, we're going to look at the lines because I was blown away. We already have bets for the over-under win totals for SEC teams, and one in particular we got to get to, and it's the LSU Tigers. The over-under win total for 2022 is seven. It feels like that's pretty fair, right? You have LSU Tigers who have not necessarily performed that well over the last two seasons after winning a national championship. Over-under seven, especially in a SEC that's getting better, especially at the top of that, of that line, because you've got Georgia, Alabama, I even think Florida, they're over under at seven. I'll just go ahead and say it right now. I think Florida, they are an easy cash that over on seven wins on the season. But LSU, that over under win total, I think it's all dependent on who's going to be the starting quarterback and how that all works out because I think there's so much good coming back to this program and the fact there is actual effort being put together with this team, the purple and gold, are set up really nicely, not to shock the world and go 9-3, and 10-2. and two. I think we see this program go about 8-4. and four. They just jump over that. A lot like Mondo Duplantis jumps over pole vaults like nobody's business. This is a guy you need to keep an eye on. And this is a program you need to keep an eye on over the next couple of years. I heard somebody say three years before Brian Kelly wins a national championship. If that happens, that's amazing. But I'll temper it a good bit. I want to see how this team looks two years and three years from now. And then I can say, without a doubt, whether they're going to win a national championship. I'm going with LSU over seven wins. Make it eight in 2022. That's my promise to you. It's not only to you, the betting public, but more importantly, it's to all of you who love listening to LSU sports. And speaking of LSU sports, how about that little segue We've got something cool going on tonight. First pitch, 7.30. The pregame going to be starting at straight up 7 o'clock with LSU taking on Alabama over in T-Town. It's going to be a fantastic game two of a three-game set. You'll hear it right here on the game. For those who want to listen to some Houston Astros baseball, you just got to flip that bad boy over to our sister station, News Talk 98.5. 
more importantly, if you want to get the lowdown on all the latest bets, you keep it locked right here to Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We've got betting across America coming up next. And as always, the world-famous CD is signing off. Be back with you this time next week in Lake Charles, a live remote. This show's going on the road. And maybe I become a little more famous, not just across the world, but the entire state. So enjoy yourself. Enjoy your weekend. Be back with you next Saturday. And I'll be back 100, not quite 110%, but 100%. And honestly, 